want to open the scriptures in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. And what we're going to do is we're not actually going to uh, do an exegesis of these two portions of scripture that we're going to read. But what we're going to do is we're just going to look at two portions of scripture that have two totally different outcomes where temptation is concerned. And they're well-known portions of Scripture. But uh, I believe under the circumstances tonight and the subject that we're looking at, it's good to refresh our memory where that is concerned. So let's look at Acts chapter 5, beginning to read at verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also bringing privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, Was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And a great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straight away at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband." And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. May the Lord bless that portion. We're going to now turn over to Genesis chapter 39, and again verse 1. Genesis 39, beginning to read at verse 1. So first of all, we've had two people tempted, where money was concerned. And they failed. They yielded to temptation. And yielding is sin. So here we have Genesis chapter 39 and verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was prosperous. He was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. 
And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into, uh, sorry, he, he put into his hand. And it came to pass that the time that he had made him overseer in his house, and over all that he had, and that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and knew not aught what he had, save the bread which he did eat. And Joseph was a goodly person and well favoured. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold my master, what is not, uh, what is with me in the house? And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in his house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee. Because thou art his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass, she spake to Joseph day by day, and he hearkened not unto her to lie by her and to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business. And there was none of the men of the house there within. And she caught him by the garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. So may the Lord bless the reading of his word to us this evening. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be looking at different portions of scripture this evening in our Bible study. Just to see um, where the uh, different uh, requirements that we need to overcome temptation are found and uh, what the Lord has done and given to us to help us. You know, ever since that faithful day back in Eden, temptation has been uh, the primary factor, friends, of, of leading men and women away from God. I want to challenge you this evening as well because one of the, the greatest things that I think Satan has actually got his hands on and is usually uh, within, our, uh, within us all uh, today is these little things here that we all carry around with us. Uh, nothing, I believe, at this present moment stage is more dangerous. Uh, and our young people are walking around with these um, in their pockets. Uh, we trust them. And I'm going to challenge you this evening as parents and uh, just even uh, knowing through just the different things that we're um, uh, involved in and also hearing Aaron speak as well that more problems are caused uh, with, with social services and the police with young people because of these devices. Um, young people can pull up anything and unfortunately as time goes on and I know technologies, I, I always cast myself as a, a technophobe but um, uh, believe you me, our young people know how to use these things and they can get well past anything that you think you know and uh, that you can do to it. Um, I know in our home we have different um, precautions put on all the devices 
and it still doesn't do the job. So I just want to warn you that this thing here, which is called a phone, and do you want to know something? That's only one small thing that this does. It's absolutely massive, and it opens up a web. They call it the World, World Wide Web, don't they? It opens up a web of temptation to our young people and to ourselves as adults as well. Um, so please, uh, just keep that in mind. And can I warn you uh, where that is concerned? You might think you're on top of it, but I tell you, our young people are streets ahead. And uh, they can uh, fairly tap into things and keep, um, keep things from you. So please, teach them about temptation and teach them how to deal with it. And we'll be looking at that this evening. Be good parents and be good stewards as well with these devices that are so readily available. But friends, what I want us to look at this evening, I want us to look at what is the source of temptation. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time looking at these things because I don't want to spend the primary time this evening giving Satan any sort of window. But what I do want us to do is, is I want us to be real where temptation is concerned. And temptation never comes from God. We read off in James chapter 1 and verse 13. And, and on it says, listen to these words. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the fowler of lights, with whom is no verbalness, neither shadow of turning, of his own will begat he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So first of all, we find that temptation does not come from God. It is whenever we in our own will allow ourselves to be drawn or lured to what Satan puts in front of us. Think about Adam and Eve. Think what, think what happened there. And it's a simple illustration here. And we'll be looking at that a little bit later on. But the scriptures, they, they hold a very important name that we should never forget for Satan. And they give him the name the tempter. We see it in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3. It says, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thy be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So there was the Lord Jesus being tempted by the tempter. Paul, when he wrote his first letter to believers in Thessalonica, he was concerned, friends, about how the church was getting on. Now, thankfully, 
um, things were going okay. And, uh, but he writes these words in 1 Thessalonians verse 3 and 5. He says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. He was afraid that, that he hadn't heard anything and he wanted to know and he was afraid that Satan had got a foothold and that the church had been tempted and that all the teaching that he had taught them from, uh, from God's word, he, he felt that that was a possibility that it could have gone in vain. But yet the folk were strong in the Lord and whenever Timothy went, he was able to, 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 to um, bring the message back to um, Paul and let him know Uh, that they were still strong in their faith. But friends, there are many names given to Satan in the scriptures. Listen to them. Now listen to these names. Your adversary. That's one's opponent in a contest. That's what an adversary is. A contest. An adversary, an opponent in a contest. A roaring lion. The God of this world. The prince of this world. The fowler of lies. The wicked one. And these are only a few of the names. And there's nothing sweet about any of them. And then you begin to realize... That Satan will, Satan will put on any act or any disguise to try to deceive man today. He'll try anything at all. He wants to deceive man. That is his primary goal. To keep us away from God. And as a believer, his primary goal is to try to ruin your testimony so that others can point the finger. But friends, I want you to be encouraged this evening. Because no matter how many names we can give to Satan. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9. Wherefore, God hath highly exalted him, the Lord Jesus. And given him a name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every new should bow. Of the things in heaven and the things in earth. And the things under the earth. God has given him a name which is above every name. So no matter what name we think where Satan is concerned. Our God's far greater. We have a wonderful God. We have a wonderful saviour. And friends where we don't want to take time looking as I say at um, these things. I do think we should take a time to look at the subtlety of Satan's tools. And uh, as I say, we have this thing and we're just after Halloween now. There's not a time in the year, I have to be honest and say, that I detest more than Halloween, okay? I just detest it. Um, And uh, one of the things that I I believe uh, we see, and we see this this going around, and we see this now almost cute figure of a, a little uh, red figure with a, a, a tail and a horn and he's maybe holding a wee fork and this is made to look cute. This is Satan. We have to remember that Satan was the most beautiful angel in heaven. 
Okay, it tells us that in God's word. He was an absolutely beautiful angel. And I believe that's how Satan dresses sin up. Satan makes it look absolutely beautiful. It makes it look fun. It's great. Just be carried along. That's how subtle he is. And friends, we can see in our passages that we read earlier uh, that he plays with our minds and he plays with our eyes and he, he plays with our hearts. And what Jesus experienced during his time uh, in his life where Satan was trying, uh, and, and whenever Jesus was tempted, he was trying his best uh, to uh, tempt Jesus. And we will see a little bit of that in a while as well. Satan will do his utmost to pull any one of us down. I just read this wee bit in one of the commentaries. I thought it was interesting. Some biblical scholars describe what happened to Jesus as uh, the Matterhorn Syndrome. Uh, in, in Switzerland, there's a cemetery at the base of the Matterhorn, filled primarily with the bodies of climbers who died on the 14,000-foot mountain in the Alps. But strangely enough, the majority of those buried there were casualties on their way down the mountain, not on their way up. Having achieved their goal for reaching the top, they let down their guard and became careless in their descent. You see, Jesus had just experienced one of his greatest moments while he was on earth. And that was the verbal proclamation and declaration of his Father's pleasure in him. And Jesus had his mountaintop experience. And now Satan was going to use his Father's words against him by tempting him in the way that he did. And whenever we look at the temptation of Jesus, we find what way Satan tempts us. So here we have, first of all, the lust of the flesh. Whenever Jesus was asked to to turn the stones into bread, Jesus was hungry and there was Satan tempting him. Then we have the pride of life. If you are the son of God, Satan said. And then you have the lust of the eyes. Look at all these kingdoms. Now Satan knew what Jesus was going to do. He knew that he was going to the cross. And he says, look, I'll give you all these kingdoms. You don't even need to go to the cross. Jesus was tempted beyond any man can expect, and yet he yielded not. And friends, Satan is our adversary, our opponent. And friends, the way we live our lives, can we honestly say that we are ready and strong? 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, I'm not saying this evening that you're not taking time. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge each one of us. I've been deeply challenged by this. 
But are we honestly taking God's word seriously in our daily lives? Because I'm sure you've heard, and I, and I have no doubt that there is, and we can see it happening, we can see it happening more and more. There's, the times are getting harder. The pastor has even mentioned it here from the pulpit. It's as if you can be anything else in this world but a Christian. And once you say you're a Christian, but you can say you're anything else. And everybody's, oh, oh, Christian. And this is something that we need to realize by coming to these days. And Satan is working hard because he knows that his time's running out. And friends, he wants to ruin our testimony. He wants to ruin your testimony this evening. He wants you to think that this world is your home, so build it up. Get the next car. Be up to date. Get the latest thing. He wants you to think your thoughts, your plans, your ideas are far more important than God's thoughts, God's plans, and God's ideas for your life. But friends, God has given us a special weapon in his armory to help us in our combat where temptation is concerned and how we overcome it. So friends, I'm not saying we're not going to mention the name Satan again this evening, but that's, that's it. We're drawing the line. Okay? Because we're moving on. We want to give God the glory in our lives. And here, we, here is mentioned this tool that God has given us. It's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 6 and then it is described for us in Hebrews chapter 4. Maybe you'd like to turn over just to, just to these two verses in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 first of all. One verse and then Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. So we've been looking at the, the, the source of temptation. We've been looking this evening at the subtlety of Satan's tools. And then we're going to move on just now to see what God has given to us. So Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Okay? Then we're going to turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. This is what God's word says. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The sword of the spirit which is the word of God. You see, no matter what Satan throws at us, the strength 
of our sword of the spirit is far greater. And I want to highlight that's exactly how Jesus dealt whenever he was tempted himself. But let's look at this this evening. Remember that the theme is not what is temptation. Our theme this evening is overcoming temptation. So let's look at these characteristics of the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, as we've just been reading in Hebrews. It tells us that it is quick. The word of God is a quickening word, making dead sinners living Christians. Souls dead in sin and trespasses alive to God. It's quick. It's powerful. And in its effects, it is most effective in convincing and converting, comforting, and also for condemning. It tells us also that it is sharp. Friends, whenever the, the Roman soldier would have gone into battle, and by the way, the Romans were known for their two-edged sword because it was a, a lethal weapon for them. And whenever they went into battle, uh, the, the, the power of the sword that they used in those days uh, was, was great and mighty, and that's how they conquered in the way that they did. Friends, it's sharp, it can wound, it can tear. And because it had two edges, it cuts without resistance, whatever direction it goes. It tells us that it's also piercing. It has no opposition. And it's a discerner. It can deal with the heart, the mind, and the soul. Just to give us a little bit of a, an idea of the characteristic of what the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, can do. Do you remember the wee saying whenever you were at school? Sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And yet they did hurt. They did. Friends, words are powerful. And having God's word in our hearts is the most powerful tool we can ever use and have. I want us to understand here this evening something about, just a little bit about what it says here as well. You see, whenever we read about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the word, the, the, the Greek language changes here a little bit, okay? So I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a Greek theologian or anything like that, I don't want you to take that, but what I want us to understand, because I think it's interesting, is, is that the word, the normal word, that's used for word in the scriptures is logos. Okay, the, the normal Greek word is logos, and it's a common word, and it's specific in an idea or a concept. But the word that we read here, that in the Greek for the word of God, is rima, and it has a totally different concept to it. It's speaking forth truth. It's inspiration. Do you remember how God's word has been written? It has been written through the inspiration 
and that God gave to those who wrote the different books. It tells us about this in, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21. And the Holy Spirit, it, 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 he breathed and inspired. And if you, take, if you think about a ship and the wind filling the sails to, to make it go forward, that's just exactly how strong and a, a, a great meaning to help us to realize just how strong this word means. The wind filling the sails in the boat to move it forward and to give it direction. Friends, there's a powerful illustration in the book of Judges of a two-edged sword. And I think there's an important lesson. It's not a particularly nice lesson, but it's an important lesson to learn uh, where, where this particular illustration is concerned, where it mentions a, a two-edged sword. Ehud, one of the uh, judges, hatched a plan to kill Eglon, uh, the king of Moab. Uh, now, it tells us that Eglon was an extremely fat man, and uh, Ehud plunged a two-edged blade into Eglon's stomach. And in Judges chapter 3, uh, verse 21, it tells us, And Ehud put forth his left hand and took the dagger from his right thigh and thrust it into the belly. And the haft also went in after the blade, and the flat, fat clo- closed upon the blade, so that he could not draw the dagger out of his belly. And then it tells us, and the dirt came out. If we want to get rid of the dirt in our lives, then we must become efficient with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. You see, friends, what is the desire of your heart? Is it to have the biggest and the best? And do you want to know something? I think we're all guilty of that. I think we're all guilty of it. It's easy to get tempted. It's easy. We don't even realize sometimes it's happening. Is it to have more than you need? Is it to be better and more intelligent in your employment? To be a more desirable employee? Now that's important, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, but there's a limit. But friends, do we make excuses where God's word is concerned? You know, Nigel, I'm not very good at retention. I I, I can't remember things. I find it hard to remember things. Reading God's word, I I read it and then I can't remember what I read the next day. And, you know, I, I find it hard to remember. Well, friends, there's not one of us. Now, if you'd asked me going back, I have to go back, maybe. 40 years now, I know, something like that anyway. If you'd asked me to quote you the script 
of Star Wars, I could have done that because I watched it so many times. I loved Star Wars in those days whenever I was younger. And I nearly knew the script off by heart. Did I know God's word in the same way? Ashamedly, no. Some of us are very good at quoting things from sport. Are we as good at talking about God's word? Some of us uh, are very good at, uh, at, at recalling, uh, sorting out things or doing different things and technical aspects or whatever. Are we as good with God's word? Why not? Now you could tell me that you can't retain things, but yet I'm going to challenge you this evening. Because if I asked you what each one of your postcodes are, you'd be able to tell me. Most of you will at least be able to tell me your landline number, if not your mobile number. You'll be able to give me an email address. Maybe in work you'll be able to know the stock codes off the top of your head or how much things are. See, you can't tell me this evening that you can't retain things. Each one of us can. Oh, Nigel, I want to give you a wee illustration this evening, okay? I always like wee illustrations. So I've got a glass of water now. I'm not going to do a pastor job and spill it over somebody's head. Don't worry about that. Okay, but I've got a glass of water this evening. Now, as we read God's word, okay, we're reading, we're reading, and it goes into our minds. And yes, we say that we forget things, but even though the water is now out of this particular glass, okay, this glass is still wet inside. So even if we struggle to retain big aspects or big things, there's always something that sticks. And then you read a wee bit more and a little bit more will stick. And then you'll read a bit more and another bit will stick. And before you know it, you've become a little bit more adverse in God's word. You can can get to know God's word just a little bit more. You might struggle for things to stay in your memory, but... If you desire in your heart to read God's word. You know, I've come to a stage where I'm asking the Lord to give me retention. Friends, is there anything wrong with you praying for retention? Ask the Lord to help you. Lord, I want your word in my heart. Help me to read your word and to learn it and to live by it. You see, what is the desire of our hearts? Friends, the soldier does not go into battle without training. Do we encourage our children? Do we encourage our young people? Do we teach them in their daily lives more about God's word? Are we more interested in them getting an A or a B or a C in their mouths in English? All important, don't get me wrong, I don't want to take away from that. But what's more important? We need to teach our children God's word. And we need to embed it in their hearts. But friends, as much as I'm saying we need to teach our children, we need to have that desire in our own hearts and we need to teach ourselves. Friends, now is the time For us to look at what the desire of our heart is. 
because that's the way that we can overcome temptation. Remember back to Adam and Eve? I want you to think about what happened in that, at that time. Okay, this is what happened. This is what God said, first of all, in Genesis chapter 2. He said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden that thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Die. This is what God said. Adam and Eve. Okay? Now Eve didn't have a lot to remember. Adam didn't have a lot to remember. But this is how Eve dealt with temptation. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said, now this is Eve's big chance. This is her big opportunity. Remember how Satan tempted the Lord Jesus and how the Lord Jesus answered? This is Satan now talking to Eve. And she says, we may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, we shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now friends, there we have the three sins, or the three temptations, sorry, that the Lord Jesus was tempted with as well, as Satan used the same technology and the same thoughts here, because when, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's a lust, of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, that's the lust of the eyes, and that the tree to be desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took off the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You see, whenever you look at what the Lord, Je- what God told Adam and Eve, and what you look at how, and you look at how Eve answered Satan you discover that she fumbled God's words. You discover that she left things out and that she, uh, she left out every and she left out freely and then she added a wee bit in. She used the, the words touch. The word touch. Friends, don't let us be fumblers of God's word. 2 Timothy 2 and 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Do you want to be ready? You know, if we want to apply God's word like we do with our hobbies and our sports and all the different things, that we get ourselves involved in. We will get to see that our God is an omniscient God. He's all-knowing. He's an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God. He is an omnipresent God, a being that is everywhere at the same time who is perfect and wants the best for us. 
My friend, we need to ask ourselves, Satan's cunning, remember? He's so cunning. So we must make sure in every decision that we make, in everything that we do, that we're bringing glory to the Lord. Because Satan will just wait for his opportunity. We might have those high times in our lives when things are going so well. And whenever we think we're just doing great, Satan's in there. The roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, whenever we look at the Lord Jesus, it's interesting, I thought this this was a real challenge to me because whenever I looked at this, I thought, wow, I, I know absolutely, well, I know very little anyway um, about the book of Deuteronomy. And yet whenever Satan tempted the Lord Jesus, he quotes, whenever it comes to the lust of the flesh, the Lord Jesus answers by quoting Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. Then whenever it comes to the pride of life, he quotes to Satan, Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 16. And then he, whenever it comes to the lust of the eyes, he quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 13. How much do you know about Deuteronomy? I have to say, I've maybe read through the book, but I couldn't tell you a lot about it. And yet the Lord Jesus used it as he wielded the word of God at Satan. You know, no Roman soldier would go into battle without a sword. Sure he wouldn't. So friends, to overcome temptation and to finish off, there needs to be recognition that we are weak, but in him we are strong. There needs to be an ambition to be strong in his word. There needs to be a transition you need to get rid of the dirt. Yes, something is a temptation and keeps you away from God's word, get rid of it. Get rid of it. There needs to be tuition, studying, instruction, learning. Being here on a Wednesday night why is this building not filled? Why? Because we're too lackadaisical. Being here on a Sunday, coming under the instruction of God's word, talking to each other about God's word, learning from each other. So that whenever we meet, so that's, we need to be a recognition, an ambition, a transition, a tuition, so that whenever we meet opposition, our rendition of God's word will be sweet, swift, and strong enough to put an end to any temptation Satan puts in our way. Now friends, there might be something in your life that I'm, you know, we all have our lives and I wouldn't be aware and most people wouldn't be aware, whatever, something that is holding you back, something that you know that Satan's tempting you with and you know is wrong. Can I just challenge you where that is concerned? Read God's word. God's word's right up to date, okay? There's nothing that is being thrown at us, that Satan is throwing us, that is not mentioned in God's word or cannot be handled from God's word. So, Go and find those verses and embed them in your heart. 
Put them in your mind. Get them there that you know them. And you see the next time Satan tempts you again and puts this thing in front of you and you think, nobody will know. You quote God's words. You have the sword of the Spirit ready to wield to what Satan has to say and try to tempt you with. Put Satan in his place. Get thee behind me, Satan. One of the things that I thought was interesting was whenever you read uh, Psalm 119, you'll read uh, so much about the word of God. It's mentioned, actually, thy word, that little phrase, thy word is mentioned 35 times alone in Psalm 119. But in closing this evening, here's two verses from Psalm 119. Uphold me according unto thy word that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Uphold me according to thy word that I may live and let me not be ashamed of my hope. Let's not be ashamed that we don't know the answer. Let us be profitable in God's word. Let us be profitable in our study of God's word. Psalm 119, 105. And this like blew my mind because I know this verse. I've known it from young. But it just really homed in on me. Thy word, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, friends, whenever you have light, you don't have darkness. And we have the light in the Son of God. We have the light. So, friends, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in our lives Teaching us, instructing us in the word of God. Let it be the light to take away the darkness, to take away the temptation. That our feet may walk on steady ground for the Lord. That our path may be straight. And that others may know that we are his. Let us overcome temptation. And let Satan get behind us. Because we're moving forward for the Lord. May the Lord bless these few thoughts to your mind this evening. And I pray that it will have been a help to you. Next week, we're going to be looking at overcoming anxiety. And uh, that's just another... Uh, so, and then the following week, sorry, the, the other one that we'll be looking at is overcoming the world. And I hope, as I say, it'll be a blessing to you as it's been a blessing to me. Uh, as I've been putting these things together for the Lord. Let's pray together just before we bring our prayer.